pressure and release. Covering your stock. Stock dog training for personal growth. Trialing as a recruitment tool. And could the growth of small and sustainable farms and homesteading be the savior of the working Australian shepherd? All topics covered in this part two of our interview with Jackie Tinker. Welcome to Farm Dog. This is Farm Dog, the podcast about the working dogs of farming, ranching, homesteading, and rural living. Farm Dog is presented by Goats on the Go, a national network of independent business owners who provide sustainable weed and brush control for their customers using goats. Want to put goats to work on your vegetation problem? Interested in launching your own goat grazing business? The place to start is goatsonthego.com. Welcome to Farm Dog. My name is Aaron Steele. I'm the host of the podcast, and I'm excited to have you in today to listen to part two of a conversation I recently had with Jackie Tinker. Jackie is an Australian Shepherd breeder and stock dog trainer out of Texas. And we had too much good stuff to squeeze into one podcast episode. So before or after you listen to this one, I encourage you to go back and catch episode nine so you can hear even more from Jackie. Jackie, tell me about your uh, philosophy as a trainer, and also I'd love to know more about all the different training programs you offer that almost all of them appear to be focused as much on the dog owner as on the dog itself. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I think dogs are amazing. They can be amazing teachers if we're willing to look at them. They're they're often a mirror to us too, telling us what we need to work on in ourselves as well. And that's one thing about dog training that I love is that if you're really dedicated to being a great dog trainer, you're also dedicated to becoming better yourself. I have learned over the last few years, and I'm not an expert at it yet because I don't think you can ever be perfect at it, but using what's called pressure and release. So old school style where everybody's in a round pen with a big old stick trying to get the dog up off the stock, right? Mm-hmm. Well, pressure and release, we use a little, that is some sort of pressure, but I, I'm learning to be more sophisticated with my pressure and release training with the dog, keeping the dog in a low adrenaline state, not allowing them to get into that high prey drive state when they're working. Cause if you start out calm, then things can remain calm and keep things calm. The dogs can then think and work with their instinct. If you let them get into that red zone, prey drive, because herding is based off of prey drive. You just modify it. And at some point they start off in prey drive and it's really amazing. You start teaching them about the group and um, staying off the group and staying off the bubble. And all of a sudden something inside of them clicks over to the instinct side and they start thinking and they start using their brains and if you keep them if you allow them to get to that high adrenaline state it's just like humans when we're in a high adrenaline aggressive or a fearful state we can't think and make decisions at all we can't even learn learning doesn't mm-hmm. happen in that stage so my main philosophy is you know this low adrenaline using pressure and release and the release of pressure is the reward to the dog so that's kind of it in a summary of you know kind of what i've been doing with them right now and it's really low low aggression training, low, high, uh, positive training. It's very positive because we're speaking the language of the dog. Dogs speak in pressure and release of pressure in their normal interactions. You can watch it. That's how they speak. And so once you start learning that, um, the dogs look at you like, Hey, you're pretty smart. You're dog lingual. You know, (laughs) you speak, (laughs) you speak dog. Mm -hmm. And then it also, the thing about pressure and release, it requires the handler to grow. 
because in order to put the pressure on the dog, you really have to become strong yourself. And I noticed a lot of people my age, we get beat up through life, right? Like life beats us up. And sometimes we don't even know that we're as low as we are until we start working our dog and realize, oh my gosh, I'm broken. And that's kind of what happened to me. I went to a a guy and I brought my dogs up there and we worked dogs for maybe 20 minutes. And the rest of the time, and this is a very famous border collie trainer. The rest of the time he was sitting there talking to me about how I needed to be strong and how I was a good person. And I had like, he started to build me up and I drove home just bawling because I just didn't realize that I was broken. And then he just helped me put me back together with my dogs. And that's what that whole thing does. Um, it allows you to heal yourself and work your dog. And I know it sounds kind of like a little bit out there, but it's really transformational. In order to be effective, you really have to be strong inside so that the dogs can understand your pressure. Right. Yeah. So I've had a couple of uh, bird dogs um, and I hope this does not minimize what you just said, but I, on a small scale, I remember experiencing that too with the Labrador retriever I was training and I went out to do a training session and didn't even realize how stressful my day had been and how much it bent up inside of me until I get out there and just things are not going well, almost from the get go. And it wasn't until I realized I'm just not right in the, in the right state of mind. It's not the dog today. It's, it's me. Uh, that we just like mellowed out, did a couple of things that went really simple, but really positive and got out of there and saved it for another day. Because I think you're absolutely right. The, the dogs just know kind of, you know, what's yeah. going on with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> they, they are also very forgiving of us too. <laughs> and they, and you did that as well. When you did that with the dog, you took responsibility as well. You're like, look, this is not going right, and it's me. I need to have this end this on a good note. That's taking responsibility for that situation, and and you grew in that situation as well, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so many training, big training sessions I had big plans for ended up lasting five minutes. You know. <laughs> yes, and sometimes people get really upset. This uh, this the same trainer that I'm talking about that helped me out so well much. He used to say, when the dogs messed up, he'd say, "Tom, thank you." because they're showing you what you need to train on. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do when I go to trial, when I'm out in the arena and, and you know, one of them messes up and they do something, I'm just, I don't get mad. I'm thinking, okay, Monday, we're going to be working on this and this and Tuesday, we're going to do this. I go back to creating lesson plans in my head about what we're going to be doing because I'm saying thank you to showing me what we need to train on. Mm. Instead oh, of getting angry at them, they're just dogs. And it's all, right. always us. If we take responsibility for all of the training, it makes us better trainers. Oh, that's a great point. Um, I'm looking at your website and in particular the herding school section of your mm -hmm. website and you have a long list of options for mm -hmm. people and for dogs including group lessons and multi-day camps um, yeah. and a stock, uh, a stock dog slash herding camp which is two or three days and it, mm -hmm. it works on you as a handler and working with your dog. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that's what I decided to do when we moved out to where I'm at now, I'm pretty far away from the DFW Metroplexes so that lessons become a little onerous for people. I have people that drive two and a half hours to see me for lessons. So 
I decided and that, hey, Jackie, maybe we should where, do... where is that located? Just I'm in Frost, Texas, which is between Waco and Hillsboro. Okay, thanks. Which is south of DFW, which is Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, so I decided that, hey, maybe I should be doing some little bit longer camps. People can come stay out here. I've got hookups for trailers and stuff like that. Then we can do two, three, four days at a time. That way, they're when they're driving, it's going to be worth their effort to stay out there for a longer period of time. So that's kind of what I've been developing um, my, my first camp that I put on was a farm and ranch camp, and we were typically looking at ranchers and farmers saying, hey, you know, what do you need to do with this dog? How do you need this dog to help you? And so I had several farmers and ranchers come out, and we worked on anything the dogs needed to do, to setting up different chores and showing them how to train different things so they could go back and work on those tasks and use their dogs at home. And that's been real popular, very popular, so... And are these all Australian Shepherds or not necessarily? No, I actually um, have more healers in right now. I have never seen so many healers in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of healers coming in right now for some reason. And I've had some Malinois. There was a, a time period where there was a bunch of Malinois and now I'm in the healer season, I guess. And I have some Aussies that come in, but I think right now I have more healers than I have Aussies. <laughs> So. Okay, so really any breed is, is you're open any to any breed. breed and, any okay. breed. Okay. They all need to do the same stuff. So. Yeah. Do you find that some of those dogs that you don't really think of as being working ranch dog ranch breeds anymore, like the Malinois, did, um, is it harder going uh, to teach those skills? Um, um, so the Malinois have obviously not been bred for herding for a long time. And they'll have some that have some instincts in them. The, the issue with Malinois is they're really popular in bite work sports right now. Yep. And I won't take a dog that has bite work experience in any breed anymore just because two things, it's not fair to the dog or the sheep. <laughs> because bite work is all on prey drive and it's a, the opposite of how I just explained how I train things in a low adrenaline state. They train those dogs in high adrenaline states in high prey drive. So the discipline and the correction I have to put on those dogs would, number one, it would affect their bite work if I was able to break through that, which is really hard with when you have something that's been conditioned in high drive, high prey drive for such a long time. It's not fair, and it's not fair to the sheep either because they're just targets. <laughs> so I don't take a dog that does bite work. So I have a couple Malinois that don't do bite work, and they have some nice instinct. I've been lucky. I have a German shepherd coming in right now and he's actually a German shepherd that is well built. That is um, just put together very well. I've had some German shepherds where they're so poorly, their structure has been so destroyed by the breed ring that they just break down five minutes of working and their pasterns are broke down. They can't walk mm -hmm. anymore. And um, this guy he's nice and he's got some amazing group and really nice instinct i don't know where it came from but it's really nice it's really nice so there's there are other breeds out there i don't think that most breeds right now are being bred to work even aussies the working side of australian shepherd um, as a breed is very small mm -hmm. um i own a website called workingaussiesource.com and that's where a lot of working breeders are listed and they can only get on that site if they have proven themselves as a working breeder and they only breed from working lines um, because there are so many confirmation agility dogs that don't have instinct anymore because they're not breeding for that anymore that's right. not what they look that's not their primary focus which is it's whatever it is what it is um so we created that resource because i think most herding breeds it's happening to border collies too. 
Uh, since the border collies have become very popular in the United States, I have border collies that don't work. They can't, they don't have an instinct and, or they don't have the structure to cover their stock anymore. So it's happening to every breed, which I find tragic. I understand why it's happening, right. but I think it's sad because I feel like it's amazing to see a dog do, it doesn't matter what breed it is, what they were bred to do. It's amazing right. to see that. So. Yeah. Good point. And great segue, by the way. Um, into into your role with <laughs> uh, serving on the stock dog committee of the um, Australian Shepherd Club of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning to our audience that just a caveat here that, you know, you, you have these dual roles of representing yourself in your dog training and breeding operation. Then you have this role of representing the yeah. ASCA. And so, um, you know, they're not, there are times, I'm sure, times when they conflict. And so you, um, in in answering these questions, feel free to, you know, pass or <laughs> <laughs> to give us okay. to give us the, the party line Political, if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I totally understand that. But um, so the, the ASCA has this working dog or stock dog program. What, what's mm-hmm. what's the goal there? How long has it existed? And and what are we trying to do? So the stock dog program of ASCA was actually, I believe, the first part of the program. You know, it has been there since the beginning of, of the breed club. And we do trials and competitions. We offer titles, and um, there's a whole bunch of really cool things. It's, it's fun. I love trialing in NASCA. Um, the, it has some sides that I don't necessarily enjoy as much, but it is a really great program. We have a bunch of different courses that the dogs work through, which have – you know, obstacles in different locations. We have a finals dog program, which means that you earn points throughout the year for every score you get over a hundred. Once you're in the advanced class and then you can qualify for finals, which the competition is pretty seriously big time. And in here in Texas, I'm competing against finals dogs every time I go out and Copper's young. He, he qualified uh, as an alternate this year, but he just finished his title. So he's young and, and he'll be competing in the finals next year. The stock dog program was developed each, well, ASCA has um, agility, confirmation, rally, obedience, tracking, and they have all the different sports. So each of the sports has their own committee. And that committee's job is to protect that sport and to develop that sport and to grow that sport. And so with the working stock dog committee, you know, our charge is to advise the board on stock dog related matters, you know, changing rules for competitions to make them better or if we see a problem we try to fix it or you know right now our big battle is the money it costs a lot of money to put on finals because we have to have a ton of stock we have to have a ton of cattle and a ton of sheep and it's very expensive to put it on so there's always that push and pull of you know this is the most expensive program why are we keeping it when not as many people compete in it as in agility so our job is to kind of stand up for the thing and say hey we can save money if we did this or we can you know, it's really important for us not to worry about saving money. We have to protect the breed. You know, that's kind of what we do as the committee and then listen to uh, the members. We're supposed to be a, uh, an arm of the membership. So when members bring us issues, we discuss them and, you know, if necessary, bring it to the board for decisions and stuff like that. Okay. So trialing at some level is is the, I guess, at its core what the program is about just to, for these dogs to demonstrate their ability and and maintain some of that that instinct in in the australian shepherd um 
do you see huh, how, how do i want to put this do you see folks who uh cross over into the stock dog part of the asca because they're were initially just interested in the dog as a companion animal or as a show animal but then having owned an australian shepherd for a while yeah. they start to say gosh what was this dog bred to do this is what you know i want to be involved I, I do see that. Um, I think actually a couple of people on our committee have come from that spot where they started in confirmation maybe. And then we're like, oh my gosh, they can work stock and they get involved in that. And it's, it's really kind of addictive, you know, <laughs> once yeah. you get into it. When I, I was living in the city eight years ago, you know, I, I was, I grew up on a, a farming operation when I was younger, but then after marriage and kids, and then I get this little Aussie puppy because my older Aussie had died that he had been just my kid's companion. And all of a sudden, we're on a ranch working, you know, eight years later, we're on a ranch because this dog. And so and also because I love it, but that happens a lot with this sport <laughs> yeah. and the sport of trialing. Um, it's artificial, you know, it's uh, the best dogs that have the best training and they have the instinct. They have to have the instinct and the drive to work and be able to cover their stock and stuff like that. In most cases are the ones that usually win in trialing, which is good. Um, you'll see dogs that uh, well it, it's a sport and it's to me i love i love trialing because i'm competitive and i'm not a great athlete on my own so this is like my sport that i love and i love to play games and i love to win but the most best amazing memories i have working my dogs are not in a trial arena they're at home the stories i told you you know the ones on the ranch nobody sees that you're just like did anyone see that? Oh my goodness. I didn't even have the video camera out there. No one's even going to believe this. You know, those are the best moments with your dog, but trialing is, it's fun. If you're a competitive person, yeah. it's, it's fun. Yeah, I can imagine. So th there are a bunch of different titles that one can get that a dog can get um, yeah. with the ASCA. Is there like a particular title or a couple of titles that are a really good proxy for a dog that can work in a, on a ranch or farm environment or um or is it a game and they're just two different things or do you need to consider that title but also a bunch of other information at the same time kind of depends on what you're looking for there are some people who only trial you know they obviously have stock and they have to take care of their stock but their primary they keep stock so that they can train to trial um <clears throat> So then it becomes, you know, that's the purpose of it. And there are some people who would argue and say, yes, you know, if you get a working trial championship, that dog can be a good ranch dog. I don't think so. I had a working trial championship at two years old on my dog, Harley, and she did not have one flank command. I sat down, I held that witch ribbon in my hand. I'm like, my dog can't go by her way to me. You know, she would do it when I would put my hand this way or put my hand this way. She she would flank when I sent her with my body, but not, she didn't know, I couldn't stop her on the back or get her to go this way or that way when she started out being working trial championship. So we, a lot of us will say that a working trial championship is a started dog, a very okay. started dog, which should have, most of them do have flanks. All my dogs now when they have their witches have flank commands, but she was a different kind of dog altogether. Um, <laughs> but there's also, uh, so uh, there's some correlation, like, you know, you have to do some take pens, but in our trialing program, we do not have a true gather. We don't have a gather in okay. any of our courses. Oh, really? And to me, a gather is like the most valuable thing a dog can do is a gather and a fetch because 
if I can get a dog to gather and fetch to me, I can put my body wherever I want it to be, and that dog will get that stock to me. And then I can be the guide, like, hey, bring it to me, and I'll put him in this pen. I'll walk in the pen, then the dog brings him in the pen. Does that make sense? Yeah. We don't yeah. have that in our program, which I think is something that, you know, I, I wish would, we could change. But right. um, but we have a lot of driving. Uh, a dog will really be able to drive well, which the drive is the pushing the stock away from you mm-hmm. in our program. So. Okay. And are the uh, the setups and the trial tests, are they uh, standardized and, and you'll see the same setup uh, no matter where the trial is held in the country? Or do they accommodate the landscape and the local stock and uh, you might have a different challenge in it, at every trial? So you'll have a different challenge every trial just because the stock will be different in every trial. And that's one of the things about trialing and working off your own place that I think is exciting is that it's always different because your stock will respond to your dog and they're like, Oh, look, it's copper. We're not afraid of him. But you know, the strange sheep over there will be like, Oh, there's a strange dog I've never seen before. And then they will be a lot lighter. Right. So everywhere you go, you might have sheep that are well-trained that people really know what they're doing when they're training that, that stock and they respond very honestly, or you may have sheep that are course trained, which they're trained to walk the course because our courses are the same. We have like Mm. A through H courses. And so they're always set up and you can get a little tape measure and they're always going to be the same depending which course you put out. H is always H no matter where you are. A is always A wherever you are. So there's that train it. You can train it. And then you'll have some that are course trained at the stock. Just they set up the only course and that's all they ever work. When I'm training, I set up elements of each course, like a Y shoot or a freestanding pen or an obstacle here, but I don't usually typically set up a course where I, when I train, cause I want my dog to be good at all the elements, but I don't want them to be stuck in their mindset that we're going to be doing this and we can't shift to something else. Because for me, um, I want a well-trained dog, not just one that's conditioned to work a specific course, but I also don't win finals either. So that's right. Yeah. Different. <laughs> and that leads me to this question. And I apologize if you kind of already answered it already, but do you have uh, training clients who's who purely have trial and title goals? Yeah. And how does that affect your training approach? Yeah. So we do, because a lot of my in-town clients, that's, they're not going to get a ranch and they want a trial which is totally fine. I love that. I still train the same way. I still train a dog to think, to respond to the commands. And then we set up elements of courses. We, we run courses. We may set up a course and run it. Um, we'll do whatever we need to do to get that dog trained the way they want them to be trained in whatever course they're doing, whether it's AKC or ASCAR or whatever, or HBA. Um, so it, it, the foundation is all the same. The pressure release work, the building the instinct and that, you know, building all their skills is the same, whether you're trialing to me or on a ranch. Mm -hmm. That's, that's all really helpful. Um, I'm kind of left with this question and, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'd just like to, however you want to answer it, it's just fine. (laughs) But uh, why does, why does the United States need a working Australian Shepherd? Why is this important to the, this program important to the Australian Shepherd Club of America, why not just allow it the breed to uh, be companion animals and show dogs? Um, 
I mean, we got lots of we got lots of herding breeds in the United States, and if we want to go abroad, we can find even more. So, what's important about the heritage or ability or the contributions to farming and ranching that we need to preserve in the Australian Shepherd? I think they bring something special to the mix. <clears throat> As far as loose side dogs go, I, I really feel that they're probably the strongest loose side dogs still out there. Okay. Um, a lot of the other loose side breeds have just really gone away from stock dog training and instinct and stuff for whatever reason. So I think Aussies are really it. You know, they're making or making they're breeding some border collie lines to be more loose side than they are um, than they used to be. Some of their cattle working breeds. But, and then the border collies are obviously the, the strong contender because they've been bred for hundreds of years. And so I think that it's really important. I would hate to lose it. It's just so amazing. If you watch these dogs, I, I think it should be protected in every breed, not just Aussies though. Terriers, uh, Labradors, how many of those still work? Not very many, right? When you see a dog that's doing what it was born to do and that thing inside of their brain that they don't even, they don't even know, it just guides them forward. They don't know what they're doing. They're just, be, they're just guided forward by this thing, especially young dogs. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. And it's, it's, a, it's the neatest thing to see. I would hate to lose that. You know, I would just hate to lose it. And, and they're useful. You know, the, I think in the United States, the whole hobby farming, the whole sustainable living kind of small farm, small sustainable thing is perfect for an Australian Shepherd. You have a great family companion because my working dogs, they're my buddies too. They're my best friends. They don't sit in kennels lamenting the day away. They're with me all the time. And so they're great family dogs. And also, you know, they work great on small farms and ranches. It's perfect for them. This dog Copper that I have now, he was anyone could have trained him to do the basics. He just was born knowing all these things. And if you get a really good dog, they don't require a lot of training. They learn the job and they're like, that's what they're great at, doing their job that they learn to do. Um, and so there is still a use for them. And maybe it's not on huge ass cattle ranches anymore because we don't really have as many of those. They're selling out like crazy here in Texas. Um, so there is a use for them. And I think that's a great place for them to go. So how does the um, ASCA or just a breeder and enthusiast like you um, connect the, that developing generation of small landholder, homesteader, hobby farm, sustainable farm operation? How do you make sure that those folks get connected and introduced to the Australian Shepherd in a way that, that shows off the working ability of the right lines of Australian Shepherds instead of just, you know, letting those folks slip through the cracks and have them find some companion Australian Shepherd line that really doesn't, that they're unimpressed by. Mm -hmm. And oh, that's just happened so often to our breed that people are like, and breeders will lie. Breeders will lie and say, oh yeah, my dog works cows when it just barked at a cow. I'm like that's not working cows. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things, I am on a campaign of my own to let people know about that. So I'm making videos and my videos include rotational grazing videos because those guys will search for those terms and that's what I do and that's how I use my dog. And so I make videos that way and I'm trying to promote it. The working Aussie source is another way to promote just working breeders. And if I'm, I go on Facebook and I'm in these different groups and I'm all constantly like, Hey, if you want a working dog, make sure you go to the source because that's where they are. Cause really there aren't very many and people will lie to you. And, and I hate that, you know, I've seen so many people come in here and say, Oh yeah, this dog was 
working cow dog, you know, their parents are working cow dogs. And, and, and one thing is if you're looking for a working Aussie, go to the working Aussie source. Also, um, if you don't find them on the working Aussie source, watch both parents work, watch both parents do what you want them to do at your ranch, not just bark at some cows or sheep or something like, look, I need my, on my ranch, I need to be able to take my dog and do this and this and this. Anyone who has a working Aussie should be able to do that. And if they don't do that, uh, walk away. But the hard part about Aussie puppies is they're hard to walk away from because <laughs> they're so cute. You have to be like made of steel, like to go and like, look at the parents of the dog and go, oh man, their structure is terrible. And then you look at these cute little fluff balls and you're like, oh, I got to take it home anyway. Anyway. Right, right. So, um, uh, as one of the, that generation of new farms that got let sounds more lofty than it actually is, but a small <laughs> farm taking a more uh, a different approach to agriculture. Um, what are those things that I need to see the parents of a litter do? Can you just list? Let's see the top three things that I I should expect from the parents of a litter before I. Uh, take that cute puppy home with me. I would like to see a nice gather from a distance of, you know, however far you want them to be. So, you know, if you've got a five acre place, it's a two, 300 yard gather, maybe um, bringing them in and let's see, what else do I do on a regular basis? Oh yeah. One thing I really do a lot is holding stock off a of feed or somewhere they're not supposed to go holding a gate, Oh, interesting. holding them off a of feed because people are like, Oh, my sheep are traveling me. Well, yeah. Sheep are like wild hogs when they're hungry. Um, so yeah. I teach my dogs to hold the stock off. Like I'll put them in a pen and either shut the gate, but usually I let the dogs hold the gate where right? the gates open and the dogs hold the sheep at that gate and uh, keep them away. While I put the feed out, the sheep have to stay there. And my sheep won't even try to get through anymore. They know we're going to stand here. We know we're going to have our turn, but we're going to stand here until the dog moves away and tells us it's okay. Um, those are two things. Let's see. And I would like to see a, me i talked about sense of group you know let watching that gather watching them pick up some stock do they leave anything behind are they really conscious of where the whole group is and that's a hard thing to see when you first get started but just making sure they don't because even really good dogs will occasionally drop something because they're distracted or whatever but typically they don't want to leave anything behind mm -hmm. um, and then maybe see them drive a little bit that means okay. pushing the stock down the road yep Yep. Yeah. The, the, boy, that's really excellent. And the point about um, holding stock off of a gate or off of feed is, boy, that hadn't even occurred to me, but that is an excellent small farm application. And, mm -hmm. and one that I don't, I think we don't always think about because the pretty thing is to watch, you yeah. know, a dog do a, a wide circle and a gather and, um, but a day to day, uh, application for a good stock dog is to yep. do exactly that sort of thing. If you are loading trailers to haul your stock around on a regular basis, you might have them um, load trailers for you. I have an episode on my podcast actually that is six chores that an Aussie does on my ranch, and I talk about six different things that we do here that I use a regular basis. I use my dogs to do. Um, I was looking to see which episode it was. <laughs> People could find it. <laughs> Let me see here. Mm. Uh, it's called six chores your working Aussie can do on the farmer ranch. I don't know what number it is, but it's, okay. it's on my podcast, but that, that's, 
That's the Instinctive good. Australian Shepherd is my podcast. The Instinctive Australian Shepherd. Instinctive, yeah. Dot com. You can, do you the instinctiveaussie.com is the website, the instinctiveaussie.com. Okay. Yeah, that would be an excellent listen for, I think, a lot of our audience here yeah. today. Um, so, boy, those are great points. Um, I'm going to go run right out and listen to that podcast episode <laughs> and uh, keep those in mind. This is a, would be a great opportunity for you to plug your various websites and yeah. um, just let us know where people can find you. Okay, so we have my personal dog training reading website stockdogtrainer.com and then um working is where you can find working aussie breeders who've been vetted which means they actually produce working dogs and they have a history and have been proven to, to produce working dogs they have litters available sometimes stud dogs listed also you can just contact the breeders that are listed there as well um, that also there are tons of articles on dog training and working dogs there at the working aussie source as well and then the podcast, The Instinct of Australian Shepherd. And you can find that on Apple, Spotify, Google, anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Okay. And just a couple of quick notes there. Um, uh, I found your podcast right away with the Google search. But in my favorite podcast app, I actually heard, had to work, search for uh, work. Oh, boy. Um, the, the name of the, the Instinctive Aussies. The Is Instinctive Australian Shepherd, yeah. The, uh, the Instinctive. The Instinctive Australian Shepherd. I had to search for that whole term, not just Instinctive Aussie. So Yeah, to... some of those podcast search engines, there's a lot of conversation <laughs> in the podcast world about how they're terrible. So yeah, they're not good. Yeah, so if you go to the instinctiveaussie.com, you can hear the episodes there, and I believe all the links to all of your favorite ones are there as well. Yeah. Awesome. So. That's great. Yeah, we would hate to have people give up on their search to add I that to their library. I have had that happen where I've had to take their phones and actually help them find it because, <laughs> like I said, they need to work on that search engine thing in the podcast app. Yep, yep, absolutely. And then a final note, uh, you can find the Australian Shepherd Club of America at asca.org. Um, and you'll find a link to their stock dog program description there as well. So Yes. Jackie, this has been a ton of fun. I've learned a lot. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you for having me. All right. Have a great day, Jackie. You too. Thanks for listening to Farm Dog. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please subscribe, leave us a positive review, and tell someone about it. Thanks. Thanks.